Welcome to the Directions Mag Geo Inspirations podcast series with Joseph Kursky. Well, greetings, folks. Uh, welcome to another edition of Geo Inspirations here at Directions Magazine. Joseph Kursky here with you. I've got a special two people this time that I've known for probably around 15, maybe 20 years now. It's Garrett and Letitia Couch. Greetings to you both. Greetings, Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Thank you for having us. Oh, knowing how busy you two are, I, I really appreciate it. And I know that the listeners will as well today. I think many people in the education, GIS, geotechnology, science community know the two of you, but just in case they don't, could you explain who you folks are, where you're working? I know you've got many fingers and toes in different facets of uh, education and society, and we'll just start with there. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you about how did you journey to your current positions? All right. Well, I'm the uh, business manager for Wind Environmental Services as well as the president of the board for the National Tribal GIS Support Center, along with a few other hats and, and roles. I'm Letitia Couch. I am a office manager for Wind Environmental Services, and I also serve as a executive board member for the National Tribal Geographic Information Support Center, also known as Tribal GIS. Wonderful. Since we're focused on geo inspirations, where are you physically located? We're located about an hour south of St. Louis, Missouri, in, in uh, Bonterre, Missouri. Uh, beautiful part of the world. The reason, partly the reason why I ask is because I usually see you out and about at conferences and events and, and so on. So it, it, it hints at the variety of activities that you folks are involved in. What facets of geotechnology, education, science, do you folks work in? And also, if you could explain a little bit more about wind environmental services, that would be great. All right. Well, wind environmental services, I guess, to really give you the, the full picture of how these things intertwine, it, it will take a little bit of storytelling, if you will, um, to tell you how we both ended up where we're at and, and how these entities um, sort of weave together. So this goes back many years ago. Um, I was working in the water and wastewater industry and ultimately got a, a wild idea that I wanted to, uh, to pursue some education in the land surveying and civil engineering space. And while doing this, started operating with a toe in both worlds, was doing land survey work on one side and working for a large metropolitan utility district on the other side. And this was around the same time that GIS was really starting to go forefront in the utility sector. So I found myself uh, working very heavily in building a, a geospatial system in that, that environment, which over the course of several years um, ultimately led me down this path of becoming an ESRI certified trainer when I started teaching folks. And over time in that migration and that process sort of outgrew the, the space where I was at in the utility space and, and kind of came to this crossroads of either you need to be a GIS manager or you need to you know, move on into a different sector. And, um, you know, if you want to teach people that that's, that's a different hat. And that ultimately spawned off into um, forming Windy Environmental Services, which we started off kind of multidisciplinary. So it was um, originally intended to help deploy geospatial services to utilities and, and, and similar fields. Um, mm -hmm. By the same hand, um, coming from a utility background, we also have a, an arm that focuses on water and wastewater operations, making sure people have clean drinking water. So there's two hats, but they, they sort of, you know, wove together. But that start of that, that, um, that company and Wind Environmental ultimately led us down the path of becoming ESRI business partners and getting very uh, familiar with the utilities teams and going out and doing training and deployments all over the country in that particular space. But that story leads us into the other chapters uh, of the story, which is, you know, from a very early age, you know, Letitia and I both come from uh, Native American tribal communities. And part of mm -hmm. our upbringing and beliefs is, you know, that you have to give back to the community to receive. So from the very beginning, you know, we, we had that kind of thought ingrained in our mind, and that led us down this path of, 
you know, as we started growing Windy Environmental Services and it came into, you know, a larger company and we, you know, started um, having more and more responsibility, how do we ultimately, you know, connect this back to, to give back? And, you know, we looked at many different facets and ways to do this. And, and we had been, you know, helping and advising in our own communities where we could, but that ultimately um, led us to co-founding the National Tribal GIS Support Center um, so that we could um, provide assistance to tribal communities nationally. And, and that, that has been over a decade ago, and we, we continue with that, that path forward. So we have Windy Environmental that is, that is sort of our, our day job that pays the bills and allows us to go out and, and do work across the country in that hat. But then we have equally where we spend as much time now volunteering is within the tribal GIS organization, which is a not-for-profit to support tribes um, in, in geospatial endeavors. And, and that has spawned off into, as you can imagine, numerous other hats that are interrelated. But that story to get us where we're at is, is, is sort of an intertwined story. And I'll, I'll, I'll let Letitia explain how I drug her into this or, or how she came Sure. Uh, well, thank you, Garrett. Um, well, my beginnings, um, uh, my upbringing was in Tucson, Arizona. So my uh, formal education is in the hospitality field. Uh, so that's where my passion lies is in that, in that arena. I, I love getting to know people, meeting new people, uh, seeing new, new uh, places, um, all that good stuff. That's where my, um, where my, uh, journeys lie. Uh, a lot of, I learned a lot of my foundational work skills in, in that field. And there was no such thing as weekends off. Uh, it was pretty much <laughs> one of my first jobs was work six days a week, only had one day off. <laughs> um, and that was pretty much my work ethic. And I didn't know any, anything other than that. Um, so it was really one of those things of you can have the weekend off, <laughs> which was, you know, a lot of people do have that opportunity, but, um, I was, uh, accustomed to that, but, um, but anyways, uh, Garrett started, um, a lot of these, uh, enterprises and, uh, is the brainchild. And it got to a point where he grew the business in a, in a short amount of time where he needed help. And so, and I was contributing, uh, part-time in helping him where I could, but it got to the point where I was able to join full-time in assisting in, in the, uh, the business also in incorporating, um, some skills into the, uh, the not-for-profit as well. I mostly intersect with you two on the tribal GIS side of things. So I want to return to that in a, in a few moments, but again, thinking about the listeners and the different journeys and pathways that they're following, tell me first about who, who are your customers for Wind Environmental and, and what kinds of consultancy are you doing uh, for those groups? So it's a pretty diverse crowd. Um, when we first formed the company, we focused a lot on um, geospatial training and um, technical assistance, but that quickly grew into um, application development. We, we did a a huge amount of work um, involving geotagged photography. We linked up with Rico Corporation, as well as some of the development staff at Esri, and we integrated some tools early on in that process of, of taking geotagged photography and seamlessly injecting them into a database. That led us into um, a number of different spaces in emergency management and asset management, all sorts of crazy things that you would have never guessed where we, we were you know, we were assisting tactical SWAT teams that were taking photographs and integrating them into GIS to show the locations, um, military activities. It was, a, it was a very broad space. Over mm -hmm. time, you know, technology has evolved and, you know, no one carries around a real camera anymore. Everyone's got that, that little magical device in your pocket that does everything. And, and we kind of morphed and we grew and we changed. And, and, and in that process, we today focus a lot on um, enterprise deployments. Um, and, and we work across a number of different disciplines. Um, we are still very heavy in the um, water and wastewater field. And I think it's just because of our background, you know, we can articulate the geospatial components with the operations people because we work in both spaces. Um, so we still have a, a decent amount there across the country, but really we get pulled in to projects all over the place, everything from public health to 
um, law enforcement to public works. It's just a real variety because we're, we're nimble enough and diverse enough where we can, we can take this from deploying, you know, ArcGIS enterprise to doing basic training to all points in between and, and, and including, you know, application development to link it all together. So we have a really wide kind of toolkit at our disposal. And I think that's one of the keys of, of success with that side of things is being very diverse and very nimble because GIS is changing so quickly that I think, you, you know, you have to, you know, sort of be out of your comfort zone um, to a certain degree to really help organizations excel when we're coming in to fill that role to be, you know, that guide and that, that support voice, you know, sometimes we've got to think uh, ahead of the curve, even deploying things that, that may not be mainstream yet, but it, 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 pushes the envelope of what we can do in GIS, but it also builds the solution for the end user that they need. And sometimes getting to that, what they need is an interesting conversation because you, you need to kind of know the space because the end user doesn't always know what they need. They know they want something and you kind of have to help mold and craft. So it's complicated answer to a simple question. Well, you're touching on some things that I think are are really quite insightful that I want I don't want the 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 reader or the listener of this to miss. One, you mentioned earlier this wild idea that you had. So I think there's something to be said with sometimes we get these wild ideas, pursue them. I mean, look at Garrett and Letitia folks. They 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 pursued a dream. There's not a lot of people that are independent consultants in geospatial technology. There are some but not with the unique role that you two do, that you two have. And I, 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 I salute you. I commend you. It's, and as someone that is a lifelong geographer and used to work at USGS with a bunch of hydrologists and others, I salute your efforts on water. You'll be proud to know that recently I was involved with an educational project and we had people collecting storm drains in the field, educators, teachers, mostly K-12 teachers, students, but we connected the students with, why should we care about storm drains? Why should we care, care about water pollution and what goes into those storm drains and how does it get treated or not treated? And you know, so connecting them with the broader environment and also the human built environment, uh, fascinating to be able to do that. And I, yeah, I love all that you're saying about connecting students with water education issues and connecting end users with solutions that will ultimately make our world a more sustainable, resilient place. Let me ask you this. Do you have employees? Do you have a team? Or is it you two working with individual customers, clients, uh, organizations? It comes and it goes. So when we need the uh, extra work, um, uh, working hands, uh, we employ uh, folks. But um, we are a, a, a small team. So it is a Garrett and I. Uh, we do have a... Um, a web developer um, that is out of Kansas City. Uh, at a point in time, I believe he used to be an Esri partner as well. Um, so it was, I believe we met him through the Esri network. Um, it's been years ago, but that they were actively getting their uh, partners together and you know forming those uh, networking opportunities. So that's where we met him and um, very good at what he does. Um, but a lot of our projects, um, they're, they're manageable. And uh, a lot of the heavy lifting, like Garrett was saying, um, application development um, really comes down to that, uh, that web developer um, uh, toolkit. And uh, that, that is a special breed. <laughs> I will say that. Mm -hmm. but. Well, it's very impressive, truly. I also like what you're saying about getting out of your comfort zone there are a number of ways to look at that, right? Getting out of your regional comfort zone, getting out of your disciplinary comfort zone, you know, working with people that uh, are in different disciplines from a different background than you or I have. Uh, I think that's a good message for people to see that, that it may be somewhat uncomfortable and uneasy at times. It's worth doing. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I can say an example for that is, you know, in the recent times where we've you know, found ourselves in the middle of a pandemic, you know, we were asked to be part of a team working with epidemiology staff to, um, you know, geo-enable contact tracing. And there was a, a number of folks around the country that were involved in this, you know, very early on. Um, but that was a space that, that, you know, quite honestly, 
we're not epidemiologists, we're not medical professionals, um, but, but that root core of understanding how to manipulate the data in a geospatial context was something that we could bring to the table. We could bring the geography component into the room full of the medical staff and we could come up with ways to, to move forward. But that's a great example of kind of going out of one's comfort zone, walking into a room full of you know, medical doctors and epidemiologists can be intimidating for just a, you know, a, a geographer in the, in the room, because, you know, you, you find yourself uh, almost needing to pull out the phone and, and look up, what are they talking about? And then, then once you've got that under, under wraps, you know, the, the, the implementation of the geospatial tools, that's the language that we can speak. So it's a little bit out of your comfort zone, but really, you know, we're bringing back that core concept of, you know, where, where does this, you know, exist and, and how does it interrelate? So it's, it's, it's sort of out of the comfort zone, but it's still yet relevant to, to what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another nice thing about geospatial is that every part of the human experience is space and place. So it's anchored in something that people can touch and sense. So I know there's some, debate on, you know, how do you introduce yourself as a geospatial professional to someone sitting next to you on the airplane or someone in a stairwell or, you know, in an elevator or whatever. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, I'm, I work with maps. And then other people say, well, you shouldn't start there because that's not all we do. True. But we're ultimately, um, the, the nice thing about this field is that we can ask people about, you know, talk to me about the place you grew up and people start in very fine detail, right? A very large scale. They've got this mental map of their grandmother's house, their, the backyard of their friend's house, the riparian zone where they hung out, et cetera, right? We're, at least you can anchor it in something that people can understand that places matter and spaces matter. 100%. I mean, I think anyone that, that has either taken or been involved in teaching an introductory GIS course you know, if you think about it, when you get a room full of people that are brand new to GIS and you, you first get them in the software and you, you get some aerial photography loaded in there, what's the first thing they do, right? They've mm-hmm. got to go zoom into their house and see what mm-hmm. it looks like. Thank you for all of your insights here in the background. Let me ask you this before we totally leave that uh, and then uh, eventually get to your work with the native communities in education and GIS, but what... Was there, a, was there an instructor, a, a mentor, a class, I don't know, a book, an experience that you had, both of you had as young people that nudged you into this, 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 or should I say fields, because you're involved with multiple fields, but how did you get into geospatial? My um, footprint in the, the GIS field uh, came later in life. Um, as I said before, my formal education and passion it still remains in hospitality. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I just enjoy working with with the public. <laughs> and um, it, that skill lends itself to GIS as well, um, as you stated. Uh, so I came into the GIS field um, by the field being introduced to me by, by Garrett. Um, he's the one that... Um, that showed me the, the, the industry. And I had no idea it was a a career pathway. Um, It just wasn't something that was introduced um, as I was growing up. Um, STEM was not um, heavily promoted uh, as a young native student coming um, from a reservation near Tucson, Arizona. And had I known or had those opportunities been, you know, um, uh, available to me, I think my career path may have been a little bit different, but um, but I, I went to a really good high school, and uh, but the, and that kind of encouraged me into the culinary um, to enter the culinary field. So had I been shown um, kind of more about the STEM fields, um, I think I probably would have um, migrated, you know, to to this field or or something similar um, to utilize the the GIS tools. But, um, but as I said, it came later in life uh, as I had already finished up my uh, formal education. Uh, but the good thing with that is you had stated we're, we're continuing learners. Um, and so there's mm-hmm. always something new to learn uh, as the technology evolves. And so in, 
in, in entering this field, I wasn't just learning about the GIS tools. It was um, learning how to be an entrepreneur. And I did learn that um, from Garrett of, uh, you know, how do you, how do you get these skills? And it's just that natural leadership um, that he comes, he comes naturally with. <laughs> and so I think he, he is a, a really great inspiration for being an entrepreneur um, being a, a Native American entrepreneur, and then having this uh, foresight to look at uh, the technologies and the, the issues that are going on in, in, in communities, uh, tribal and non-tribal, uh, to find solutions. Uh, he just got that really great outlook. And those are the footsteps that I've been shadowing and, and continuing to learn from uh, over the years since, I believe, what, 2000, 2005 is when our company started. Uh, but mm, of his, mm-hmm. his, uh, work on, you know, goes, uh, predates that as well, but, uh, that's how I got my introduction into to GIS and, uh, yeah, it's just a constant, um, learning process. True. I agree with you. Le- a lifelong learning process before we get to Garrett's, you know, nudge points in his past that led him to this I think you're touching on something else that's really important. And that is, you know, sometimes uh, we get into this field and it probably goes for other fields that, that, you know, are on other career websites and so on. But I've got these students at the university of Denver, for example, and every semester I've got a substantial component of those students are mid-career types. They've been in utilities, they've been in public safety, they've been in some other, and sometimes it, Um, And they want to get into GIS, mostly because they feel like this is a way for them to make a more substantial contribution to the globe and to their communities. Not that those other fields weren't or aren't legitimate fields and you can make a a very positive contribution there, but they feel like they can can do more with their career goals and their personal goals with adding geospatial. But I, I say to them, probably you've said the same thing to people, it's never too late to actually get into this. You don't have to start with this when you're an undergraduate. And I think you know what you're saying is a, is a good example of that. So thanks for sharing. Garrett, what about you? What, was there a, a nudge moment in your past where you said, you know, I really, I love you know, landscapes. I love you know, getting out there in the field. I love technology. What was it? For me, it was, I suppose, um, as I mentioned, kind of coming in from that utility perspective, from kind of the early early onset of that, some of the areas that that I, I took an interest to was more in the, the layout and the design. That's what led me down the pathway of looking at surveying and civil engineering. But then ultimately, I think where the, the bug bit me was, you know, in being involved in that uh, first deployment um, with the utility company I was at and, and kind of getting my feet wet with GIS, but then really being able to connect the pieces and see where the possibilities could take this. That's mm-hmm. that, that was mm-hmm. the spark for me, um, you know, kind of having that, that idea and concept of, of how this works, but, but being able to tie the two together. Cause you know, this was sort of around that same time frame where, you know, we were, we were creating features in our GIS, but we were doing most of our drafting in CAD at the time because, you know, we needed snapping and connectivity. So we were in that weird kind of moment where things were sort of hybridized. And I think that was right around the, the time when, when ArcGIS came out and it was, you know, one environment and it was, you know, this was easy and we could start building on it. And I, I probably got carried away with the thoughts and ideas on how to do this. And, and, you know, ultimately, you know, let, went down that path. And, you know, some of it was just by um, circumstance of need, right? So we had electrical line crews and, and uh, water crews going out that the idea of giving them GPS units to collect assets was complicated. That wasn't their field. And, you know, you got a lot of pushback. One day sitting in the office, I'm, I'm looking at a camera that if you recall the old big compact flash slots, and I'm like, you know, they make a GPS receiver that'll fit in these. And ended up talking with a gentleman from Rico Corporation, and one thing led to another. And I started, you know, moonlighting on the side, coming up with tools to integrate a, a just a digital camera in, so that these line crews could just take pictures like they had always done. Um, and it just kept spawning out from there. So mm-hmm. the background was kind of 
not really planned. It just kind of evolved, right? The, the more you get into it, the more you want to do. And it just kept growing from there. Very true. I've heard that from many people. I'm sure you have as well in geospatial science and technology where they say, I feel like I'm just getting started. I, yeah, I may have been in this field for a long time, but I'm sure you could, you two can relate to this. The last year, the last two years, of course, we say this every year, have been the most exciting for geospatial technology, right? When you've got, like you're touching on Garrett, at least the touching, if not the merging of the CAD, BIM world with GIS. So we've got these interior space models combined with the exterior space mapping. It's really powerful, right? You can build a resilience plan for a, for a, a tribal college or a university campus or a school campus. You can build a resilience plan for a, for a hospital or a, or a community, right? So it's, it's good that these, these worlds that were formerly not completely separate, but, but largely separate, right? In terms of their tools that they used, starting to, at least starting to look at problems together, with tools, I don't want to just focus on the tools, but like you said, uh, with GIS and, and things like ArcGIS Urban even, or ArcGIS in, Indoors that are helping to enable people to at least have a conversation about how do we build these plans with the interior versus the exterior spaces. Pretty exciting times. We just finished together with the two other colleagues a recording for the upcoming National Indian Education Association NIEA conference that touches on the work that you're doing in the tribal GIS, Native American, geotechnologies, geosciences world. Can you kind of dig into that a little bit? What, first of all, maybe why do you feel that this, this is an important subject for us to pursue as a society and also your unique contributions, which I feel are, are innovative and to be saluted, seriously, uh, your contributions to that work. Sure. And working with um, a lot of communities, um, tribal and non-tribal, uh, we're able to see that the skills that are, are, are needed, the, the opportunities are endless um, when considering GIS and the tools. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity that uh, is available to um, specifically uh, tribal students, um, Native American students. Um, like I had said before, if, if uh, STEM education was emphasized when I was growing up, I think I would have a, a, a different career pathway or, or at least considered it. And so I think it, it is something that we want to um, encourage the youth to uh, pick up as, as a skill or at least explore uh, so that way they have better uh, opportunities um, than, than they may already have um, in their career pathway. But it just enhances that and the, it allows them to go back and help their communities uh, fix, fix issues um, that are, are ongoing and find solutions and, and be able to see um, that that output um, within their communities. It's been probably over 10 years, probably about 15 years. Uh, we did go to uh, Haskell uh, mm-hmm. Indian College and uh, we were doing a, a presentation on why, why GIS is important. And we were talking to their GIS class and, um, you know, got, it was, it was well-received, um, but we, we had one student that said, I, I hear what you're saying, but there's no opportunity for me back home. But the funny thing is, uh, just before we had given the presentation, his community where he was from in Arizona had put out a uh, job opportunity um, in the, I think the, the salary range was uh, probably in the 80,000 80, range. And it was specifically for GIS, a GIS manager. And so it was kind of ironic that he was saying that and, and here's this opportunity, you know, and that they, they, they did, I don't know if uh, any uh, qualified uh, tribal member applied for it, but it is an opportunity that was in his backyard. And we were able to express that to him of a, you know, this is a, a, an opportunity that, you know, you didn't miss out on it. I mean, there's still plenty, you know, where everybody can contribute and, and there's more than enough work that, that one person cannot achieved by themselves. <laughs> and um, that's what we always keep in mind. And um, yeah, just the opportunities, it, it, 
it's endless. I mean, it, it, you can go global if you wanted, um, but also you could go home. And a lot of uh, Native mm-hmm. students are, are rooted to be wanting to be home in their community. So mm-hmm. it, it provides that as well. Good point. When I was teaching at the Rosebud Sioux Reservations, uh, Sintagleska University up in South Dakota, I was struck by when I visited the tribal lands hydrologist, the tribal lands manager, the the soil scientist, they all had GIS skills and they were all working in their own community. Um, And so, yeah, that was a message I brought to those Sintagleska students that like you're saying, Letitia, you can go international with this and you could also apply and give back, like Garrett was talking about earlier, give back to your own community in the following tangible ways that are, as you're talking about with your example of the GIS position, Letitia, in demand. And, and we're never going to get to the point where these skills are not right. data fluency, uh, thinking holistically. How is this ever not going to be in demand? Right? There, we're always going to have unfortunately, natural hazards and health and water and other issues that we're dealing with. And so empowering, empowering students of all ages with these skills, um, I'm right with you. I think it's, it's important and it's always going to be a, a skill, a perspective more than even more than a skill, right? In the workplace that's valued by nonprofits, government, academia, private industry. Yep, I'm right with you there. So, um, one of the things that uh, I've worked with these two fine folks on over the last few years, gosh, I remember the very first one I attended, it was down at SIPI, Southwestern Indian Polytech in Albuquerque, 1999. Probably people listening to this saying, Joseph, you've, you've, you're old, you've been doing this a long time. Well, but even then, um, there were people teaching online, which was kind of clunky and done with TV monitors. But I remember at that conference, I think it was the first tribal GIS conference that I ever attended. And so talk with us a little bit about that event. I know you, you've played a huge role in, in that ongoing, not just an event, but community, really. Yeah. And um, so our... our um organization, well, the, the Tribal GIS organization uh, began right around 2008, 2009. Um, and what we did with the organization is, I think the, the 1999, I believe there were, might've been uh, predecessors, predecessors to us that have had um, started um, those networking opportunities and education opportunities for, um, for, for tribes and, and GIS. And so uh, when we came along, there was really not an emphasis on the technology um, where we saw that our, our predecessors um, focused on was the, the storytelling end of it with a little bit of geography. Um, so it was missing. Uh, what, what we saw was the technical end of it was missing. And that's where mm. the demand was at the time uh, for, for the workforce is people needed education in using the, the, the tools at hand. Um, they enjoyed the storytelling, but I need to do my job <laughs> is ultimately where, where people were at when we began our initiative with our organization in, in 2008. Um, we, we are officially um, organized in 2009. And um, that's, that's, pretty much the foundation of, of where we began uh, our roots is, okay, let's bring together uh, tribal folks and have an emphasis on exploring the technology. It's constantly changing people. Um, the employment is, it, it's, it's always turning over and it, it's a good, but a bad thing. Um, the consistency, it really <laughs> uh, stalls, you know, projects out at a, at a tribal level. But there's always that opportunity for employment, and that's what we express to the younger folks: is that that is a career pathway. If, if in it's it's there for you to take, you just may have to wait a while, <laughs> or it may happen sooner than you expect. But uh, that that is ultimately the foundation of of where we picked up the ball of um, mm-hmm. tribes and GIS and and forming the purpose of our organization. And Garrett may have uh, more to contribute here. 
Yeah, I think it would be worthy to kind of point out. So, so the tribal GIS organization as it is today, really the, the start of that was prior to the conferences. It was prior to a number of things. It really stemmed out of a conversation that we actually had with a group of folks in Tulsa, Oklahoma, some years prior. And it was stemming around at, at that particular time. There was a lot of focus and emphasis going on around tribal transportation and, and housing and a few, few kind of key areas and the, the, the nexus of the conversation was, is folks all over the country, you know, there, there's over 500 federally recognized tribes were essentially reinventing the wheel mm. for data models and data structure. And we're like, you know, there's, there's a better way we can recycle these things. And really the first item that we created was a list serve for, for those that still love them. You know, that was, yep. that was our starting <laughs> point was a communication hub. Just, you know, the, the concept was let's get people talking and, and We'll see what we can build from there. And that grew into, well, let's, let's, um, let's start having some regional meetings. And we started having an Oklahoma regional meeting with tribes in the state and other regions said, well, we want to do this. And then that grew into, well, we need to have this national conference. And it all happened relatively quickly, but it was, you know, sort of stemmed from this need of, of needing to connect people. And I, I think, you know, to, to echo on your previous question, you know, one of the things with with Indian country, that's a little unique is, you know, GIS, as we apply it in the broad spectrum, you know, having, you know, the knowledge of one's location for asset management, many things is, is important. Planning is important. Tribal communities, however, this is magnified because if we look at the data, you know, we're all data nerds. That's, that's why we're in this business and GIS. But if we look at the data, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that tribal populations are increasing at a percentage that is greater than land growth. So the need to plan appropriately now for what is going to happen, you know, 20, 50, 100 years down the road is paramount because, you know, we need to keep growing areas for tribal housing, utilities, all of these things. But we need to do this in a way that's sustainable because that land base is not scaling at the same ratio. So it, it, the importance of it definitely magnifies. Indeed, well said. Um, one of the things that uh, you folks are touching on also reminds me of the Ikigai diagram. It's like a Venn diagram of, you know, what you love, what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what the world needs, and trying to find that intersection of those four spheres. And I think my dad actually ran his own business. And so, you know, I had some sense even, even as a young person for how much work it takes. Letitia talked about this earlier, but putting in those long hours and so on. So I'm sure it hasn't all been, hey, you know, all, you know, frozen yogurt along the way and smooth pathways, but it's a lot of hard work and dedication and, and, and to nurture that community going forward. Despite the difficulties, the it seems like you folks have found that that sweet spot, even if some days it doesn't feel very sweet, right? But you're you're making a really positive and unique contribution to the community. Also, touching on what Letitia was saying, I've encountered this as well. You get something, you know, it's all relationship building, right? Encouraging faculty and students to be using geospatial technology, for example, in education. And then there's a there's a staff change or there's some disruption in the in the college or university or even a school and you've got a staff person that leaves and then kind of energy is lost and you have to rebuild it up and um, and that's just the nature of it um, it's a fragmented nature of education oh you mean that previous person didn't 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 pass on what he or she knew about what they were doing with this particular project that's a challenge no they didn't they just left oh okay well let's start over then uh, or at least pick up some of the pieces. Um, but I think this relationship building is so important. And the last tribal GIS conference, for example, that I was very honored to participate in, thanks to you all for inviting me. But I met so many people that I hadn't even known before in the community, like that uh, teacher from the Salamanca High School in New York, doing amazing things. I want to almost made me feel like I wanted to go back to high school. Almost, not quite. But anyway, if I could be in a high school like that, I wouldn't have been so doubtful about, can I actually do this as a career? You know what I mean? I would have come into an undergraduate program saying, yeah, I, of course, they didn't have GIS in high school when I was in high school. But the point was, 
uh, some wonderful people sharing what they're doing and not being afraid to sort of push the boundaries a little bit in their tribal college or in their in their school because they knew it was the right thing to do. You know, working with, in this case, this teacher's a high school, you know, science teacher working with social studies, working with language arts. Hey, GIS spans all disciplines, right? That's one of the reasons why we love it so much. So um, it's just been, it's just been wonderful to connect with this community and we work with you all. Okay, I'm being conscious of the busyness of your lives. What about this, folks? Um, what do you think is the most important thing or maybe a few things that we need to be working on in the native geography, geoscience, education, geospatial community? What's your advice? Let's say that's a, a very tough question because when we look at GIS across Indian country, across tribal governments, it is extremely diverse. I mean, we have tribal communities with geospatial programs that mm -hmm. are well-rooted with many, many staff members. On the other hand, we have communities that, that are still learning what GIS is. The one thing that is consistent across the board, though, is the need for additional people that are educated and trained in GIS to some extent. Because what we're seeing now as the evolution of GIS is, is occurring, and it's been really cool to see this, you know, decade by decade, you see the change. The, the, the process of things getting simpler for people to use has spawned out into many, many different programs wanting to utilize GIS. So the role mm -hmm. of, you know, GIS staff has changed. It used to be, you know, GIS staff was making all the maps and printing them out. And now it's, it's yeah. evolving into the GIS manager really is a data manager and creating web applications and kind of going in a different direction. And having more folks that are trained and educated in that is, is always a key. And to be completely honest with you, I think with the generation of folks that we have coming up, you know, kids today are more technology oriented than ever before. I, I think with, you know, connecting the right resources where they're going to take it is, is probably going to blow us away. Um, but that, that, that fresh, you know, feed of people that have the passion and the understanding is what's going to carry it to that next level because it really is a balance of the two. You know, you can have someone with the skills that doesn't have the passion and the program is not going to go where you want it and vice versa. We really need to balance the two of both inspiring and educating to get the, get things built where, where they want to go. And perhaps that's maybe larger than just Indian country. Maybe that's, you know, what we need a little bit of everywhere. I think that's very well articulated, Garrett. I know we're all very passionate about the application of geospatial technology and education and in society, wastewater, energy, all the other things that you folks are, are touching, you know, all the other professions that you folks are touching. And we also have this sort of sense of urgency, right? Where some variables on the planet, and you're touching on, you know, housing, health, et cetera, are going in the wrong direction. So how are we going to actually sustain healthy communities going forward? That in part is going to depend on like the things that we're talking about today, building spatial literacy, building skills, building skills in not just geospatial applications and uh, analysis, but how do you communicate results? How do you build stakeholders? How do you, how do you get the community involved with something you're passionate about? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of things as you're talking about. And uh, it is interesting though, and touching on what you're saying also, the, the newer, you know, folks in could be mid-career, but could be, you know, people just coming out of tribal college programs or wherever, even high schools that are new to geospatial technology, they're really sort of blazing the trail fearlessly in some ways. They don't, they don't maybe have the history of, okay, this used to be really clunky to get my data layers to overlay. Okay. There are still some things that are difficult about GIS, but they're going to take as you're saying, GIS into new realms and new disciplines and new application areas that are, are really going to be exciting is exactly what we need going forward, right? We need some new perspectives and fresh thinking. And I like to think of you two as really pushing the boundaries of what, what I call modern GIS. You're really, you're really nudging people forward into thinking about GIS as this decision-making decision support system, rather than your training is not teaching them to learn ArcGIS 2.5 right? You're, you're, you're getting them the whole field, web mapping applications, spatial analysis, communication, 
the whole the whole thing, the whole depth and breadth of GIS. So again, I I I think you folks are wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I would say one thing with that that is kind of an interesting thought is, you know, over the years having different experiences in different places, you know, one one of the um, opportunities that came along several years ago was working with a group of, of youth out of Northern California. And I spent a politician. I actually spent a little over two years, every other month flying out to Northern Cal and helping this youth group. And, you know, mm. one of the biggest takeaways that I learned from that, you know, while we're teaching these kids how to, to use GIS and to work on their projects was it was, it was sort of a breath of fresh air coming from teaching a lot of adults and, in, in you know, corporate environments, a lot of times you, you would hear, um, you know, people go, well, this is too hard or I can't do that. You know, the amazing thing was as a group of 10 year olds, I don't think I ever heard, I can't do this or it's too hard. They just did it because they could, and they didn't know that they could say, I can't. And it, it was kind of inspiring of the notion that, you know, maybe that's a little bit of the magic mojo for people that are working through things in, in their own career is, you know, when you get to that point and go, well, it's too hard or I can't, you know, maybe we need to steal a little bit of that thunder from, from, from the kids. Cause you know, their, their concept is, I don't know that I can't, I'm just going to try it. And sometimes that's the key to the entire process. Just give it a try. I'm right with you in the past when we've been together face-to-face -face at the S3 user conference, some of my favorite moments have been with those 4-H students. Like you said, Garrett, they're, you know, 15, 16 years old. They've come with their 4-H leader. Uh, and there's usually only about 30 of them at the, at the user conference, but they have the energy of 3,000 people. So, and they're doing Krieging and they're incorporating GIS into geo games and, and, uh, and Maya animation software, so filmmaking. And they don't know it's, they don't, they know it's challenging, but they just, they just do it. And um, they're rather fearless there. And I, I just love that. So I'm right with you on, on, on that. And it's, that's one of the things that I miss about the actual face-to-face -face user conferences, actually face-to-face -face interaction with those students. But I think the educator's role, though, is still important, right? They're the ones framing the inquiry. They're framing the, okay, what if we looked at this variable? They're helping students vocalize, and they, students often don't have the vocabulary. Is this clustered? Is this, is this I, don't, I, I don't even have the right vocabulary. I'm, I'm 13 years old to know about random patterns or whatever so that the educator can help guide them that way. But you're right. The students can do this if an educator lets them fly. And it goes to the university as well. If, if we try to box them in to, okay, you're working on this project and I'm going to so over confine you that you don't have the ability to think creatively. That's one of the things that's great about GIS, right? The students can actually tackle local to global problems with real data, real contexts, and then they develop this portfolio, right? That they can take to the tribal college or to the tribal uh, hydrologic office or to their state government or whatever, wherever they end up working. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, in closing then, what, what, what is your, what, what would you say that, um, in terms of, let's say someone is interested in this field, doing some of the things that you folks are doing, what's your advice to them? What, what should they focus on? What would be your advice to them? For anybody really coming into a, a tribal community is get to know the community. Um, it's, a, it's a never ending mm -hmm. learning experience. Um, and the, the, the values that exist there um, Definitely incorporate, uh, as you had mentioned previously, the, the holistic view of the community. And um, a lot of folks that, you know, may be employed, um, have, have, you know, employed by the, the tribal community um, may have never been exposed to, to this way of thinking or a way of doing. And so I think it's, it's very key to understand the community uh, of what they value. Um, and that'll keep you on, on, on task with, with your projects and help you. And um, there's a lot of research to be, to be done. And um, a lot of the, the community has done the research. You just need to, um, to, to review it and incorporate it and, and um, see where the community has been and where it's going. Um, I think that's very key. Uh, as Garrett mentioned, the communities are growing and um, 
understanding that you a lot of the communities have have core values and and they differ from uh you know community to community but i think that 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 would be very helpful aside from the gis skills but knowing the community the issues at hand you know whether or not they have a huge super fun site and what the battles are with with or the challenges are with you know these environmental issues and their relationships mm-hmm. with the agencies um i think that's a, a common thing that we hear is these relationships um that, that are not understood, as you said, the, the stakeholders. Um, but um, that's that's what I would, you know, value mm-hmm. as important. Yeah, appreciate the insights. I think I would um, maybe give, uh, if, if I were, you know, and, I, and I've had these conversations with a number of folks, but I think the advice that I would give to anybody that is really trying to, to grow their career or just getting started in, in GIS it may differ a little bit than what most people might recommend. And, you know, the, the norm would be, well, you're, you know, you're going to need classes and web GIS and you're going to need, you know, to have an understanding of maybe how to do some JavaScripting or Python. I actually would differ and say, you know, those are important. And I would, I would consider those foundational things that you just need. What I would recommend for somebody that's really trying to, to further themselves in the geospatial community is Take some time and really focus on building your network, both contributing into the community and, and pulling from that knowledge base. Because over the years, you know, whether that be, you know, working with a group of, uh, you know, group of kids or, you know, working on um, policies at a national level that affect our entire country on geospatial matters. The thing that has become one of the most valuable resources that I have is the network of people that I know throughout the world, literally in GIS from, from senior executives to folks that are just, you know, getting rolling because the real reality is, is GIS is ever evolving. There's no one person that's ever going to know everything, but if you, um, if you participate in and keep that, 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 that group of people around you, you know, they say that sometimes that, you know, the smartest individuals are the ones that, that surround themselves by smart people. And I think that, holds true in GIS, you know, build your network, that's going to lead to opportunities, but it's also going to lead to resources when, when you need help or you need assistance, you know, that's, that's what that community is for. And I I think GIS is is really tuned to that generally. Um, But I think that's an area for folks coming in new, you know, it's worth your time to have those hallway conversations to get to know people beyond just what can you do for me? Because those relationships are what's going to going to you know lead you down your career's pathway. Indeed, well said. And speaking of relationships, I've really valued the relationship that uh, the three of us have had over these years, and look forward to further collaboration with you both. So thanks again for your leadership and for sharing your story and your advice, um, your pathway with uh, the listeners today. Much appreciated. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you, Joseph. And that, that, that is reciprocal. We, we've enjoyed having you as a, a resource and a friend and colleague over these years and look forward to many more years. Well, we're all in this together, right, folks? And so, that, as you say, Garrett, the, the network is so critical now more than ever.